Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We have been reading in the book of Hebrews, and we last time we read chapter 5. At the end of chapter 5, the Hebrew writer was talking about we need to mature and grow beyond just the, the milk of the word, meaning more than just the initial message of salvation. We do need to learn and grow into the other parts of the message as far as loving one another and how to live daily and, and to be mature Christians. We can't just sit and, and just hear the message of salvation over and over and over. And uh, Actually, he's going to continue on with these thoughts here, so I'm not going to, not going to say too much more. Let's read Hebrews chapter 6. Now, I am reading in the Amplified Bible. Therefore, and now this is alluding to what I just said he had just spoken about. Therefore, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about the Christ, advancing on to maturity and perfection and spiritual completeness, doing this without laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of teaching about washings, ritual purifications, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are all important matters in which you should have already been proficient long ago. Meaning you've already heard and studied all this. And being Hebrews, being Jews, they should really already know a lot of this that he's referring to. <clears throat> and we will do this, that is, proceed to maturity if God permits. For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who have once been enlightened spiritually and have tasted and consciously experienced the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted and consciously experienced the good word of God and the powers of the age world to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to bring them back again to repentance since they again nail the Son of God on the cross for as far as they are concerned they are treating the death of Christ as if they were not saved by it and are holding him up again to public disgrace. Now, there's, well, let me finish here. For soul that drinks the rain which often falls on it and produces crops useful to those, no, yeah, useful to those for whose benefit is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it persistently produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So there's two, there's at least two things that he's mentioning here um, as reasons, you know, to, to move forward. You know, for one, we shouldn't need to keep relaying the same uh, foundation of salvation. We should all know that and be able to move forward, you know, being saved and move forward. Now, it's different if you're new and you need that foundation. That's fine. You know, but, but laying that laying down that teaching over and over and over, he's saying we shouldn't need to repeat that, you know, ad nauseum forever. And um, uh, one reason and one thing he mentions here is people who have they have tasted the salvation and they've tasted that experience, but they think they think that's all there is, and because they think they experience that. And then they think that's all there is. They fall away. They just will go, well, okay, I've experienced that. I've tried that. It was good. I'm, I'm moving on. And they just go on because they don't think that there's anything more to it. They don't see the depth of it, which you don't if you don't continue 
to study. You know, it's all a learning and growing process. We start out and we start learning and, and we do start laying that foundation and learning the basics. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we go, we grow and we learn more. Um, and we grow more into maturity. And we should act more mature. I know that I have my failings in that area. But I mean, just saying that we should. I, I don't want to lead you wrong like, like I'm some sort of perfect person. Definitely not. And then another, the other example for the soul that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, meaning if you're just sitting there and you're just taking in this word, this milk of the word, this gospel about salvation, but you're never doing anything, you're not producing anything, you're not making any effort to do anything, then then you're 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 useless. It's you're not you know, if you produce something, meaning like if it in, mean like you accept the word of God, you accept salvation, and that makes you want to help and do for others, and, and in some way, whatever that might be, we talk of ministries, and, and I would just say, whatever, you know, effort that would be for you would be like your ministry. Now, that might mean helping people in any number of different ways, maybe even ways I can't think of right now. You know, whether it be a little volunteering, or some donations, and some volunteering, or maybe you can do something that I'm not thinking of that's really cool, and, and you could do that for people, <clears throat> and something I couldn't do, you know, and that would be great. That would be, like, your thing. And that would be fun, you know, that would be good. But if you're not doing anything, if you're just taking this word, if you're just going... Let's say you're just going to church every week and you're just sitting and you're just listening to this word and then you just go on and go about your business and it, it doesn't have any real impact on you. You don't produce anything or in the case of verse 8 where he mentions it produces thorns and thistles, which means you're going on in a uh, really in a non you know, a non-believing type of lifestyle. You're going on with sinning and producing these bad crops, which that's what sinning does when we're um, you know, we reap what we sow, so what our actions are, you know, that produces a crop of whatever that is. If we're doing good acts, then that will produce a crop of good things. Um, we may not ever see the crop, actually. We may go and, like, you may, like, go and, like, feed the homeless or do something to help people. You may never see the actual end results where that person maybe, maybe the help you give them manage, you know, helps them to uh, maybe find God, maybe move on with their life and get a job and do different things, you know, because I'm, I'm saying if it's somebody who's, who's like destitute, they may only be destitute temporarily, not like they're, you know, forever that way. But I just mean, you never know what impact you may have. So, so you could produce a crop, but if you're just sitting around and you're not doing anything, you're not doing anything with the word and you're not doing anything about the word that you're given, um, meaning you're not even trying to help others or do anything, then, and then, and if you're living in sin, you're producing thorns and thistles, because that's what you're going to produce is bad things, then, you know, then that's not good. We need to do better than that. <clears throat> so, he's going to move on and talk about more now. So, verse 9, But beloved, even though we speak to you in this way, we are convinced of better things concerning you, and of things that accompany salvation. So he, he believes they're going to learn and grow and mature. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown for his name in ministering to the needs of the saints, God's people, 
as you do. And we desire for each one of you to show the same diligence all the way through, so as to realize and enjoy the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be spiritually sluggish, but will instead be imitators of those who, through faith, lean on God in absolute with absolute trust and confidence in Him and in His power. And by patient endurance, even when suffering, are now inheriting the promises. So he's encouraging them to, um, well, first of all, he's saying he believes, of course, that they will mature and they will grow and do better. He says God will not forget the things they've done, the good things they have done. And they have done some good things, he says, for the saints. So I don't know what those are, but he's done some, th they've obviously done some things. Maybe they uh, sent some money to some of the uh, traveling apostles. I don't know. Maybe they helped someone else that was in need. I don't know about. He doesn't mention. But um, he says, uh, We desire for each one of you to show the same diligence so as to realize and enjoy the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and by patient endurance are inheriting the promises. So, you know, follow the apostles, follow their example. Back then, they did not have the Bible. You're probably going to hear me say this a million times. But, so a lot of times they had to follow oral, orally taught the word, and then they had to follow examples like that, actually living examples. And that's, you know, that's part of, that's what they had to do. You know, we have it easier, a little differently today. So, and he, he does make the point that they were the apostles, these these believers, as we look at them as being very strong believers, out doing the ministering for God. Um, they were inheriting the promises. Also, they, you know, they had, uh, they well, they had the powers and everything. They had the powers of the Holy Spirit and all these things. So, anyway, continuing on with verse thirteen. For when God made the promise to Abraham, he swore an oath by himself, since he had no one greater to swear. No, he had no one greater by whom to swear, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he realized the promise in the miraculous birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come from God. So, and Isaac was a miracle for uh, Abraham and Sarah. And so God made this, he made this oath, this promise, by himself, on himself, because he, he is, there is no one greater. There is no one greater. You know, we would take an oath on the Bible or on, you know, or by God, which we really shouldn't be doing because we know we shouldn't. But I mean, you know, if we make a pledge in front and we say, you know, in front of God as my witness, I'm going to do it. Well, then, you know. That's pretty strong, and we better make sure we're doing that. We really shouldn't do that, but I know, like, we still take oaths in the military, and I think for police service and for different positions in the government, and we should take those oaths very seriously. Um, but nonetheless, God takes his promise to us, his oath to us, very seriously. And in the case of Abraham, and now we are Abraham's heirs, you know, um, oh, actually, wait, I should continue reading because he's going to actually go over this. Verse 16, Indeed, men swear an oath by one greater than themselves, 
and with them in all disputes the oath serves as confirmation of what has been said and is an end of the dispute. Once we promise and swear that we're going to do that, we take an oath saying, yes, we're going to do that, or yes, that is what we have done, or what we have seen, or whatever, then that's the end of the dispute. We, we take their word for it. In the same way, God, in his desire to show to the heirs of the promise, that would be us, the unchangeable nature of his purpose, intervened and guaranteed it, guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling. Okay, let me back up because that didn't read quite right. So that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. I, re I read that better. That sounded better. It made more sense. <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't mean to blur all that together. So, so in other words, by his oath and his promise, because we can trust those, because he does not lie. We who go to him for refuge. That gives us strong encouragement and strength to hold tightly on to that hope. We know we have his promise and his guarantee. And what he promises and he guarantees, what he said, what he says happens. Go back to Genesis and look how he said, let there be light. He said, let there be this, and it happened. So he cannot lie. What he says happens. It is. What he says is is. It's not just fact, it's, it happens. So, <clears throat> it becomes. So, um, this hope, this confident assurance, we have as an anchor of the soul. Now, and you might remember that from a, from a song we sing in church. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple the most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells, where Jesus has entered in advance as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, again, this is our promise as heirs of Abraham, heirs of the promise. This is our promise and our, our, our uh, oath that God has given us. And now Jesus as our high priest has moved, you know, within, okay, he's, he's with the Father, right? And he is there. Um, we, he's making a comparison to, to, to like the old, the old priest would go, you know, they could enter within the veil and offer the sacrifices and, and pray for the people and do, do the things they were supposed to do, right? And the people were, could not, they were outside. But Jesus has gone into, basically the kingdom of heaven, the throne of God, he's gone there to the mercy seat there. Okay? And he is there allowing us to come to God through him. And he's he's entered in advance. You know, he's already there as a forerunner for us, becoming our high priest. And this says, according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a... Melchizedek, I have problems with that name, I'm sorry. He was... Um, a priest that Abraham 
met slash maybe new. I'm not sure. Uh, he's only mentioned a little bit in Genesis. I think there's just a couple of verses. So I don't know a lot about him. He is mentioned a little bit in Psalms. I'm sure that there was more information that the Jews knew about him that I don't know. So I can't say too much. But it appeared that he was a priest of God even back then in the old days before before the law and before Moses. So, And now Jesus has become such a priest for us, just like he was a priest for Abraham. So Jesus is our mediator in heaven before God, so that when we pray through Jesus, we can go to God through Jesus. And uh, we are counted as we are counted as righteous as Jesus. Again, because of Jesus, because of our Lord. I mean, because of He. He made that one eternal sacrifice for us. So, all right. So that is the end of chapter six. And the the breaks here, like between five and six, kind of interrupts some thoughts. And then the break here between six and seven. Again, it kind of interrupts some thoughts because 7 continues on. So in our next session, we'll, we'll read chapter 7. And he will continue on about um, uh, Jesus being our priest. So we'll continue on with that in that chapter. All right. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, God loves you.